Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolf. On this edition, the connection between brain diseases of aging and ciguatera fish poisoning, and how to reverse both. But first up, here's the news. <laughs> More nuclear leaks. This time the leak is 100 tonnes of contaminated water from the TEPCO Fukushima nuclear power plant. For our North American friends, that's over 26,000 gallons. The Japanese legal limit for radiation in drinking water is 10 becquerels per litre, and the contaminated water has 230 million becquerels of beta radiation per litre. Strontium-90 in the water seems to be the source of the radiation. Strontium-90 causes bone cancer in humans and can damage DNA. The good news is that beta radiation can't penetrate past a thin shield of aluminium sheeting. So it's only a problem if it's leaking into water tables, farmland, wilderness or the ocean. The leak is from a tank on the inland side of the power plant, unlike previous leaks. The leak was discovered by the Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, when they investigated why eight of the nine thermometers in the container were broken. They discovered the leak was caused by a pair of valves that were left open by mistake. Who are they hiring these days? We'll get back to that. It's relevant. In 2013, TEPCO announced that 300 tonnes of contaminated water had escaped into the environment, and another multi-tonne leak a few months later into the ocean. Hundreds of tonnes of contaminated groundwater still flow into the Pacific Ocean every day from the plant. The original disaster was in March 2011, but new disastrous leaks of radioactive material keep happening every year. TEPCO are now in the process of recovering leaked water and the soil it's contaminated. A Reuters investigation showed that TEPCO and its subcontractors are paying recruiters $100 per head to gather homeless men for slave labour to work on cleaning up the dangerously radioactive site. The men are put into dormitories without any warnings of the danger, no health insurance or even radiation monitors. They're offered less than the minimum wage. The fees for rent and food are automatically deducted from their meagre wages. As a result, at the end of the month, they're left with no pay at all. Petitions have been started online to ask that the Japanese government stop the exploitation. You can find the links to the petitions on diffusionradio.com. You load the 16 tons, what a gift. Another day older and deeper than death. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Rejuvenated Brains and Ciguatera. Last year, I reported research 
that showed the amount of a compound called NAD declines in our cells as we age, reducing the ability of the cells to turn food into energy and causing many of the symptoms of ageing. Researchers at the University of New South Wales found that raising the levels of NAD back to youthful levels in mice reversed many of the symptoms of ageing, particularly the brain symptoms. The team included Dr Nady Brady, who as well as researching and patenting substances that reverse ageing, is also investigating the contribution of toxins to neurological diseases like Alzheimer's disease and ALS, but also ciguatera fish poisoning. Ciguatera fish poisoning causes debilitating neurological symptoms in people who've eaten contaminated tropical fish. The only treatment known to have any benefit at all is a traditional herbal remedy from New Caledonia. Dr Brady published research into the active ingredient of this herbal remedy, rosemarinic acid, last year. So he's working on cures for brain ageing diseases and ciguatera poisoning. He spoke to me about all of this research and how it's all interconnected, so I'll be breaking the interview up over a few weeks. Dr Nady Brady is a National Health and Medical Research Council postdoctoral early career research fellow based at the Centre for Healthy Brain Ageing, or SHEBA, at the Euroa Centre, at the Prince of Wales Hospital under the School of Psychiatry and the Faculty of Medicine at the University of New South Wales. He's under the mentorship of Scienta Professor Perminder Sachdev. In this three-part interview, Nady explains how understanding the symptoms of ciguatera fish poisoning is related to treating Alzheimer's disease, ALS, and reversing the effects of ageing. Basically, what I'm looking at is the effect of environmental toxins on neurodegeneration, which is my field of research. And so neurodegeneration is when there's brain damage, subtle brain damage from the toxins or from ageing or from other things. Is that right? That's correct. Basically, neurodegeneration where there's extensive progressive loss of neurons, particularly in the central nervous system. Now, there are several neurodegenerative diseases, and each disease is characterized by, by the loss of a selective population of neurons. For example, in the Alzheimer's disease, we see the progressive loss of cholinergic neurons, particularly in the hippocampus and the frontal cortex, where, and, and that leads to a progressive loss of uh, cognitive function and loss of memory. Whereas um, in Parkinson's disease, actually, we have a progressive loss of dopaminergic neurons, which express dopamine particularly in the striatal regions of the brain, which leads to marked loss of locomotive function. Similarly, in ALS, which stands for myotrophic lateral sclerosis, which has been under focus in relation to involvement of environmental toxins to this disease, particularly coming from the Gram hypothesis, is the loss of motor neurons, which are present in the spinal cord and promote locomotive activity. So, basically, Neurogenic disease is a very large research subject with complex etiologies and multifactorial pathogenesis. And no one is able to actually say what is the real cause of, of the neurogenic diseases. For example, no one knows what is the real cause of Alzheimer's disease. No one knows what is the real pathogenesis of Alzheimer's disease. Everyone has observed oxidative stress, cytotoxicity, abnormal protein misfolding. But what is causing these, these, uh, these pathologies remains unclear. Now, a lot of research has shown that there is an important genetic factor that plays a role in the cause of these diseases, particularly the fact that parents with Alzheimer's disease generally will generate children which have a high chance of getting Alzheimer's disease as well. But the inherited inherited familial neurogeneration, for example, inherited familial Alzheimer's disease only accounts for up to 5 to 10% of all reported cases. 
Now this leaves up to 90%, 90 to 95% of sporadic cases with unknown causes. Now, my particular focus was to show that could environmental toxins be a cause, uh, play a role in, in the development of neurogenic diseases such as Alzheimer's disease. Now I'm not saying that environmental toxins is the main cause, but it can play a role in some cases of Alzheimer's disease. And so there's a whole lot of neurodegenerative diseases that may be triggered or in some way the cause contributed by toxins. Now with ciguatera, it's caused by eating fish that's eaten these microalgae or some other fish that have eaten the microalgae somewhere in the chain. So what does ciguatera do to the human body? Okay, that's, co that's correct. Actually, ciguatera poisoning can be affect the human whether it's through inhalation or indigestion and it passes through the, through the food chain. Ciguatera is found in a microalgae or dinoflagellates. It's particularly in, it's called the gambediscus uh, species and it's transferred to humans through bioaccumulation and biotransfer up the food chain. And well, once it enters the human, it can lead to a, a variety of symptoms. But the, my main focus is neurological deficits. But it can particularly lead to severe headaches, to lethargy, numbing sensations, even sometimes loss of memory, particularly acute memory. Now, the key question is, well, how does ciguatera cause these neurological deficits? See, these neurological deficits may occur in a few days or may take up to years, and sometimes they're always persistent, regardless whether you, you have other symptoms or not. Now, one of the major discoveries related to ciguatera poisoning was to show that actually ciguatera is an agonist. An agonist is something which actually binds competitively to a particular receptor. Now, ciguatera binds to a sodium-gated voltage channel 5. Now, for the audience who not, will not know what the, what the voltage-gated sodium channel does, actually, the voltage-gated sodium channel is critical for the mitigation of action potential in the neuron. So the action potential is the way that neurons send signals to other neurons? The action potential promotes a synapse. It allows the transfer of signaling from one neuron into another. And so the ciguatoxins are actually binding to where the signals go through? Yep, correct. The ciguatoxin binds to the binding site on the voltage-gated uh, calcium channel. Therefore, it allows the voltage-gated calcium channel to remain significantly uh, open for a longer, longer duration of time. So it acts similar to depolarizing agents. Therefore, it prevents the normal function of the neurons and actually prevents the rapid transfer of signals from one neuron to another. So it actually plays around with the intracellular communication of the neuron. And so that means that if you have signals in your system from your senses, that these or from, from inside your nervous system, they will keep circulating much longer than they should because That's the gate correct. stays open. That's correct. It increases the conduction velocity. So there's a mixed conduction, actually, with the signaling. Now, that's really interesting because when I first got poisoned with ciguatera, I had a nerve conduction test done to see if I had carpal tunnel to explain the pains I had in my arms and hands, and they found the conduction was faster than normal, which they'd never seen before and couldn't explain. That's also one of the prime reasons of the difficulty of diagnosing patients with ciguatera toxin. So one of the ways of diagnosing it actually is to say, well, where have these people have been? What have they eaten? If people uh, present themselves to the doctor with, with motor defects. The other thing is, in addition to sending the signals around for much longer than they should be, does it also mean that you'd be, your nerves would be triggered by lower levels of, of signals? That's correct. 
Now, secretorial toxin also leads to activation of the uh, NMDA receptors, and we have shown this in our uh, publication in neurotoxicity research. The NMDA, NMDA receptor is involved in calcium signaling. Now, under normal conditions, the NMDA receptor remains closed by the blockage of a magnesium ion. However, once there is an agonist or activator of this receptor, the magnesium ion is, is expelled from the center of the, of the receptor and the increased influx in intracellular calcium. Now, calcium is an important uh, transmitter. However, calcium also can induce the activation of several enzymes, particularly uh, nitric oxide synthase. Now, what does nitric oxide synthase do? Nitric oxide synthase leads to increased production of the major free radical known as nitric oxide. Now, nitric oxide itself can, bind, can, can affect several macromolecules. It can, for example, bind to the lipids, which are present in the cell membrane. And this can lead to uh, lipid peroxidation and destruction of the, of the cell membrane, allowing further entry of toxins inside the cell. What, what, does, what does this aspect have to neurons? Well, this can lead to extensive loss of the degeneration of neurons, leading to neuron dystrophy. And nitric oxide can also interact with, uh, with uh, proteins, leading to protein peroxidation and, for, and formation of uh, an alteration of protein form, leading to loss of function of normal protein, which we need for our body. At the same time, oxidative stress, or particularly nitric oxide, can interact with the DNA, can lead to uh, the transcriptional genetic abnormalities. Wow, so the toxins can actually, not only can they get into the cell through the membrane, but they make it easier for more poison to get in and then they can damage the DNA as well. And what does this commonly lead to? Well, oxidative stress will initiate several repair enzymes to help to repair the body. For example, there is one important DNA repair enzyme known as polyADP ribose polymerase, or PARP. This is the main one in the, in the, in the DNA in the, in the nucleus of the cell, which we have been particularly working on. Now... Under normal conditions, under normal mild conditions, PARP can actually repair DNA. However, it uses an essential substrate known as a nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, or NAD. Is the, the, the NAD, that's, is that connected to NAD+. Plus, that that's right. That's what it is. That's okay. right. So NAD+, plus has been in the news recently as something to do with ageing in that's cells. Right, that's right. And actually, uh, I don't want to uh, move the direction, but actually our group, we were the first ones to show actually that NAD is actually uh, reduced in ageing using physiologically aged rats. That's what we published in PLOS One, and, and we published another paper in Biogerontology in December 2013. So you were able to reduce the symptoms of ageing in the rats? No, no, what, no, what we showed is that this NAD is a critical for the maintaining the normal cellular homeostasis in aging, and this and therefore the development of therapeutic targets which can increase NAD will hopefully delay aging, particularly related to brain functioning, which is our field of research. Right. So one of the the areas you're looking into will be compounds that can keep the NADA levels in the cells up to what they should be for healthy functioning, which could combat some of the effects of aging. That's right. Gee, can we sign up? <laughs> sure. <laughs> we still, the, of course, the first thing is we can't just jump to humans. We have to always start with preclinical, which is mice. And that's uh, our current targets that we are doing. Well, that, that's exciting because the research I read about was basically a lot of the effects of aging seem to be reversed when you're able to bring the NAD uh, up to normal that's levels. Right. That's, right. that's right. Also, NAD, we also published a paper in brain research uh, last year showing that actually... NAD levels are altered depending on which form, which stage of multiple sclerosis you, are, you have. 
Now, RRMS, relapse remittent multiple sclerosis, which is the last stage of multiple sclerosis, has significantly very low levels of NAD. And this can explain a significant uh, low uh, uh, peripheral motor function uh, that, that is observed in multiple sclerosis. And what is the substance that you're using to bring the NAD out? N is it NAD plus or NADH? NADH is the reduced form of NAD plus. High levels of NADH is not good because it means that the NAD plus is being, is being broken down much faster to, to lead to accumulation of NADH. And we've actually shown that there is a, a reduction in the NAD plus to NADH ratio, which is a no-no. So you want a high amount of NAD plus but a low amount of NADH. Yeah, that's right. And what is it? that you use to bring the levels of NAD plus up? In particular, uh, particularly, there are several different targets we can do. For example, there are synthetic compounds which actually inhibit the, the DNA repair enzymes leading to an increased uh, surplus of, part of, of NAD. However, by, doing, by using, though these have worked in uh, animal, animal studies, theoretically, by inhibiting the DNA repair process, we are, we, we are actually endangering the, endangering the, repair, the, repair, the, the body's endogenous repair system which is not good. Alternatively, we can increase the production of NAD. Now, our group actually with uh, Professor Giles Gilliman and Dr. Ross Grant actually have a patent where we can use a natural compound which has been, uh, this particular natural compound has been linked to cert direct sertraline activation uh, as a free radical and all the anti-inflammatory, all these different things, but we've shown actually that the effect is due to increased NAD production. Now, this particular compound we're looking for is resveratrol which has been on the news about red wine. And there are different targets of resveratrol. Some say it's a direct activator of sirtuins. However, some say that this direct activation is largely due to, a to fraudulence in the actual assay itself. But this does not negate the, the positiveness of resveratrol. Because though, though it not, may not be a direct effect, it can still increase sirt activation by increasing the substrate, NAD, which actually is, a, is the substrate for the sirtuins and for PARP as well. Now, what we have shown in our neurotoxicity research paper is that cigotoxin can also lead to cell death due to energy restriction and a depletion in NAD. And this can explain the, lots of the symptoms that are observed by cigotero poisoning, such as lethargy and increased inhibition. So that means that some of the effects of cigotoxins are similar to what happens with ageing. That's, that's correct. This is one aspect. There's one aspect with this. And you found a compound that you're investigating that can combat some of these symptoms in Ciguatera. That's great. That's great. Our group has been working in collaboration with a research group in New Caledonia by a Professor Dominic Laurent, who's been working on Ciguatera poisoning for years now. This is particularly important since New Caledonia is located in the Pacific, which is a region where, we, a region where there is a high cause uh, of Ciguatera poisoning. Uh, Cigotero poisoning occurs in the areas of the Pacific, the Indian, Indian and Caribbean regions. And this is particularly important since the, the particular um, microalgae which uh, produces cigotoxin is present in warm temperate areas where there is more salinity similar to that in, in, the, in, the, Pacific area, in the Pacific Islands. And another, another problem of cigotoxin in this region is the fact that, well, these islands depend on seafood and fish farming for their livelihood. There's also a high rate of tourism there. So that's, that explains how there is a lot, of, uh, a lot of Western people that actually do get affected with this. It's through consumption, uh, particularly ingestion of uh, contaminated fish pro uh, seafood products, 
while on their tourist, tourist holiday in those areas. Australia is an area where you could perhaps get fish with Zika poison. That's, that's, that's correct. Particularly these days in the current uh, uh, climate, climate system, and there's current changes, increased global warming, and current increased changes in water weather, there's an increased tidal effect uh, happening in, in, in Australia. And particularly relating to these increased algal blooms, which we are seeing, which we recently saw in Kuji, the significant algae bloom. Now, this can, can lead to increased cigotoxin and the vast environmental toxins, which can lead to new generation. Now, though, the, though these disappear after a while, any exposure still maintains persistent. And we yet don't know the full extent of this impact in the, in the, whole, in the whole body and on the Australian population. Another imp important fact, environmental factor which we should be looking out for is that the Murray-Darling system is an important form of water from farming for the majority of the Australian population, whether it's in the country or inland, and also Warragamba Dam, which is important for Sydney. Now, there has been increased algal blooms happening in those areas. Now, this is our water supply, and we are consuming this water supply. And yet, though we are hoping that... The, the, I don't want to say anything politically, but though we are hoping that this is at very low levels, there is a, a strong potential that this can increase the incidence of neurogenic diseases, particularly happening in Australia. So it's something that we should keep an eye on, something. is the algae levels in our dams. That's correct. That's correct. In New Caledonia, they're looking at a traditional medicine for ciguatera. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a, it comes from, it's, a, a, it's called rosemarinic acid. Rosemarinic acid is a naturally occurring polyphenol, which means it has multiple phenol groups. Now this plant comes from the, uh, from the uh, plant known as the Heliotropium phoritheranium. Um, which I looked up on Wikipedia and it's also known as octopus bush in Australia. That's right. And it grows in northern Australia? Yes. Is it possible to get hold of it? Of course, but if you just eat the plant by itself, like in, as a soup, it's no good because you don't, you don't, you're actually destroying the active compounds, which is actually marinic acid. Now, the rosemarinic acid is a naturally occurring polyphenol. Or it contains multiple phenol groups. Now, previously, the structure of multiple phenol groups has shown to have very high antioxidant potential. Generally, there has been strong use of uh, consumption of, of antioxidants such as vitamin C, vitamin E, and, and vitamin A for the treatment of uh, ciguatera poisoning, particularly because ciguatera poisoning induces oxidative stress, and these antioxidants can mop up the free radicals. However, a better approach is actually to target the voltage-gated sodium channels, which is the primary target for ciguatera poisoning. Now, why we chose rosemarinic acid is that it has been shown previously in new studies to actually be a, a direct competitor of the same binding site that, that, that the ciguatera uses to attach to the, the voltage-gated uh, sodium channel. So, it can dis so the actual rosemarinic acid can displace and prevent the binding of ciguatera to that particular receptor. Does that mean that if you've already got the ciguatoxins bound in those places, that the rosemary acid would not only unbind it so it could go out of your body, but take its place? That's right. Is that a problem if the rosemary acid takes its place? Uh, not really, because if we allow rosemary acid to displace the ciguatera toxin that's already bound, the this will allow the body's immune system to gradually take the, uh, activate it and actually displace the effect of the actual ciguatera itself. At the same at the same time, rosemary acid 
has a higher affinity to, to the binding site than ciguatera, so it will last longer than ciguatera. At the same time, uh, rosemarinic acid does not have a high toxicity at all, particularly at the levels that it's been used in the body. It does not activate the Voltigated receptor in the same way that ciguatera does. If you were to be treated with rosemarinic acid, it might unbind the ciguatoxins from your cells so that your body could flush them out. And it might even, if you've got enough, it might stop it rebinding on its way out. That's correct. That's a simple, that's a simple way to explain it. That's exactly correct. So, and also, in our, in our, in our publication, in Neurotoxicity Research, which is, well, it was, in, it was in press last year, but it had to get published, you know, based on the transfer rollover papers. Actually, we showed that one of the, qu the main questions by the reviewers was, well, in our initial submission, we showed that if we expose these neurons with cigototoxin and then, and then after 24 hours, uh, treat them with rosemarinic acid, do they show any protection? Well, the answer was yes. Well, what we also wanted to show, well, okay, if, if rosemarinic uh, acid can protect against ciguatotoxin after exposure, can it act as a preventative measure to prevent against ciguatero poisoning? And actually, this was true, because we exposed the cells in, in, in vitro to rosemarinic acid, and 24 hours later gave them ciguatotoxin. We showed that actually we do have a significantly reduced effect of ciguatotoxin in cells that were pre-treated with rosemarinic acid. From animal, animal studies, which we are currently doing in collaboration with the group in New Caledonia, it is possible to, so far, slow down or reduce the symptoms of ciguatera poisoning with treatment in, with rosemarinic acid. That was part one of my interview with Dr. Nady Brady about the ageing brain and ciguatera fish poisoning at the Centre for Healthy Brain Ageing at the University of New South Wales. Next week will be a shorter part of the interview. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, experiments, standing ovations, gasps of amazement and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. Checking production this week was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and 2 Triple H in Hornsby, Karingai. Diffusion is syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Diffusion needs funding. The Bank of Ian has no income stream. Please contact me at science at diffusionradio.com if you'd like to sponsor the show, suggest a business model, help with applying for grants, or look for the donate button on diffusionradio.com to contribute to the costs of producing the podcast. And next week, I'll speak to a space entrepreneur. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.